I want to read a few more passages of Scripture for us this morning. First, from Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then this from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then finally from 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Kinsman Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The Protestant Reformation started 500 years ago this month. Uh, that 16th century event was truly a gift from God for which we should still be grateful. It's Blessings resound down to this day. It was a much-needed course correction for the church. It was proof that Jesus had not abandoned His church. He had not given up on His mission of making the nations His disciples. It's not that the church had ceased to exist in the Middle Ages before the Reformation. Certainly God continued to have a faithful people between the time of the apostles and the reformers. But there can be no doubt that the church had drifted. The church had been corrupted. The church had largely lost her way. She had experienced mission drift. The great achievement of the Reformation was not merely restoring the moral order of the church, not merely restoring morality to the church, but especially in recovering doctrinal truth, biblical truth. The Reformation recovered the Gospel, the proclamation of salvation by God's grace alone, through Christ Jesus alone, received by faith alone. The Reformation, as much as anything else, was a revival of preaching, of true biblical 
preaching, and that's really what I want us to consider this morning. I've been doing this series off and on this year of uh, sermons on the Reformation to give you a sense of, of why this event is worth celebrating, and I want to continue that today. I want to talk about preaching. I'm preaching about preaching. Now, I know that sounds kind of odd. <laughs> it's like writing a book on writing, or uh, painting a picture about painting, or singing a song about singing. But come to think of it, those other things have been done. So why not preach about preaching? I think it's important for us to consider what preaching is and how it works. Uh, we have talked about what happens when someone is baptized. We've talked a lot about what happens when we take the Lord's Supper. But what happens when the Word is preached? Is there more than meets the ear going on when the Word is preached? Here I think the Reformers really can help us because they developed a, a very thorough theology of preaching. They reflected a great deal on what the word written says about the word preached. And in fact, I think that's a good place for us to start. What is God's word? When you hear that phrase, God's word, what do you think of? Uh, certainly there's more than one way to answer that question. Uh, we could say the Word of God is the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. He is called God's Word in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. And then, of course, he goes on in that opening prologue in his Gospel to tell us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's one answer. Jesus Christ is the eternal Word of God. But there's another answer. We can say that the Bible is the Word of God. This is God's Word. If Jesus is the Word incarnated, the Bible is the Word inscripturated. The Bible is the Word of God written. What the Bible says, God says. That's why the Bible is our highest and only infallible authority. It is God's speech. It is God's Word to us. The Bible carries God's own authority. It is infallible and inerrant because God is infallible and inerrant and God speaks to us in Scripture. Our God is a speaking God, and Scripture is the record of His speech. It is God's Word. The Scripture is the revelation of God the Father about Jesus His Son, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so obviously, Jesus and the Bible go together. You can't trust Jesus without submitting to His Word, the Bible. And if you love Jesus, you're going to love the Bible as well. We come to know Jesus through Scripture. But there's a third sense in which we can speak of God's Word, one which the Reformers emphasize, but not one you were likely to have thought about this morning when I, when I asked that question. And that is preaching. Preaching is the Word of God. One of the great confessions of the Reformation is the Second Helvetic Confession. It came out of the Swiss Reformation. It was written in 1562. And it includes a section with this title. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Now that's startling, but listen to what they say. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Wherefore, when this Word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very Word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. And this is a truth that virtually all of the Reformers emphasized. Luther said this. I'll just give you several quotations here to, to, to show you this. 
Luther said it's a right and excellent thing that every honest pastor's and preacher's mouth is Christ's mouth and His Word and forgiveness is Christ's Word and forgiveness for the office is not the pastor's or the preacher's but God's. The Word which He preaches is likewise not the pastor's and preacher's but God's. He's saying the preached Word is the Word of God. He, he goes on, he says, yes, I hear the sermon, but who is speaking? The minister? No, indeed. You do not hear the minister. True, the voice is His, but my God is speaking the Word that He preaches or speaks. Go on with, with uh, John Calvin. Calvin says the, the same kind of thing. Um, well, actually, let me give you one more from Luther, and then I'll move on to Calvin. This is also from Luther. Would to God that we would gradually train our hearts to believe that the preacher's words are God's words. To be sure, I do not hear this with my ears or see it with my eyes. All I hear is the voice of the preacher, and I behold only a man before me. But I view the picture correctly if I add that the voice and the words of the pastor are not his own words, but those of our Lord and God. That's Luther. Listen to Calvin. Calvin says, when a man has climbed up into the pulpit, it is so that God may speak to us by the mouth of a man. Calvin says, Christ acts by His ministers in such a manner that He wishes their mouth to be reckoned as His mouth and their lips as His lips. That is when they speak from His mouth and faithfully declare His Word. Calvin says, if our Lord is so good to us as to have His doctrine still preached to us, we have by that a sure and infallible sign that He is near at hand to us. So Calvin says, if, if you're so blessed as to have the preaching of God's Word in your midst, that's a sign that God is in your midst. That He seeks our salvation, Calvin says. That He calls us to Himself as though He spoke with open mouth and that we see Him personally before us. Jesus Christ holds out His arms to receive us as often as the Gospel is preached to us, let us assure ourselves that God offers Himself to us in the person of His only Son when He sends us pastors and teachers. Calvin says the forgiveness of sins is distributed to us through ministers and pastors of the church. Accordingly, let each one of us count it his own duty to seek the forgiveness of sins only where the Lord has placed it. Where has God placed His own word of forgiveness? On the lips of your pastor. That's where you are to seek it. We have this even in a hymn that we sing. To your temple I repair. This is the fourth verse. This is how it goes. While your ministers proclaim peace and pardon in your name, through their voice by faith, may I hear you speaking from the sky. And the Reformers say this kind of thing again and again and again. When the Gospel is preached, it is as if heaven itself is open and God is speaking to us from His own heavenly throne. Speaking to us through the voices of His pastors. This is the classic Reformed view of preaching. The preached Word is the Word of God. Now, they qualified this, and this is important, they qualified this. Preachers are not inerrant or infallible the way the inspired Scriptures are, the way the inspired authors of Scripture were preserved from error by the Holy Spirit. You can't say that about a preacher. 
And so everything the preacher declares has to be tested by the written Word of God the very way the Bereans did in Acts 17. They tested the preaching that they heard, searching the Scriptures to see if the message they were hearing was indeed faithful to God's revelation. And so when you listen to a sermon, you ought to have one eye on the pulpit and one eye on the text. Testing everything the preacher says by the Word that is written. But this is the point of the Reformers insofar as preaching derives from and is faithful to God's Word, preaching is God's Word. And it carries the authority of God's Word. It is His voice. It is His Word of comfort. It is His rebuke. His promise. It's His threat. It's His Gospel. It's God's own Word to us. And so when the preacher is faithful to Scripture, if you don't believe His words, you don't believe God. If you don't obey His Word, you're disobeying God Himself. When the Reformers made this claim, their point was not merely about the truthfulness of what is preached. It was about the power of what was preached. The power of the preached Word. It was a claim about how God uses the preached Word in a redemptive way. They said preaching is truly a work of God. It is a redemptive act. Again, Calvin says, the voice is that of a mere mortal, but it is made an instrument of eternal life. The only way they could explain the power of preaching to break hearts of stone and and, and to put in their place hearts of flesh to raise the spiritually dead and make them alive, the only way they could explain the effect of preaching is to say, it's not the word of a mere man. It must be the word of God. Christ must be present when His Word is preached. Just as He is present in baptism and in the Eucharist, Christ is present when the Word is preached. God is truly speaking and working when His Word is read and preached. And that's why one of the great English reformers, Hugh Latimer, who was burned at the stake for his Protestant faith, said, take away preaching and you take away salvation. Luther said, when God desires to punish a people, He takes away good and godly teachers and preachers. On the other hand, when God desires the salvation of a people, what does He give them? He gives them faithful ministers of the Word. So Calvin said this, when Christ causes His Gospel to be preached in a country, it is as if He said, I want to rule over you and be your King. Calvin said Christ subdues the world to Himself by the preaching of the Gospel. Preaching is the scepter by which Christ rules. It is the banner of salvation unfurled. Preaching is how Christ plants His flag, His flag of salvation and the flag of His kingdom in an area, in a territory. The preaching of the Gospel is how God establishes and grows His kingdom. You ever wish you could hear God speak directly to you? Ever wish you could hear God's voice? Well, God does speak to you. He speaks to you through the preacher as the Word is read and preached, as the Word is sounded forth. God is speaking to you from heaven. Sometimes people will claim to have a private revelation from God. They'll say, God told me this or God told me that. But of course, we always want to ask the question, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that God said this to you? I think it's really clear from Scripture God doesn't want us to seek Him in private revelation. He wants us to hear His voice outside of us as the Word is read and preached. 
we have now very clearly left behind the age of reason and we have entered into the age of feeling, the age of emotion. Emotion is king in our culture. But can we trust our feelings? Can we trust our emotions? Can you trust your heart to be your guide? Can you look within to find truth? A lot of people seem to think that. They seem to think that God leads us through feelings and through experiences. And if it feels good, how could it possibly be wrong? And again, the Reformers would say, no, don't look to your feelings. Listen to the Word. The Word of God is outside of you. And it even judges your feelings and tests your feelings. God speaks to you through Scripture and as the pastor expounds Scripture. So Calvin gives us this slogan, Christ preaches through His preachers. The preacher truly is Christ's mouthpiece. Calvin says God appoints pastors to be instruments of His Spirit. Now again, I have to qualify this. Luther and Calvin both make it clear that this high view of preaching does not entail a high view of the preacher himself. It's not the man, but the office he inhabits. The preacher is a sinful, fallible man. No different than anybody else in the church. But the point is this. God promises to use preaching to do His work. Preaching is a human act, and as such, it is a fallible act. Again, the preached Word is not identical to the written Word. It's not inspired. It's not the Word of God in the same way as Scripture. And it certainly shouldn't be viewed as some additional source of revelation. But the point the Reformers sought to drive home again and again is this. God has chosen to use preaching to convey His Word of salvation to us. Preaching is how He speaks His comfort and His forgiveness and His mercy into our lives. Again, listen to Luther. When you hear a sermon by St. Paul or by me, you hear God the Father Himself. And yet you do not become my disciple, but the Father's. For it is not I who is speaking, it is the Father. Nor am I your schoolmaster, but we both, you and I, have one schoolmaster and teacher, the Father who instructs us. We both, pastor and listener, are only disciples. There is only this difference that God is speaking to you through me. That is the glorious power of the divine Word through which God Himself deals with us and speaks to us and in which we hear God Himself. In fact, Luther liked to point to the story of Balaam's donkey in Numbers chapter 22 where God actually speaks through the donkey. You know, the, the, the talking donkey story in Scripture. And Luther said, hey, look, if, if God could speak through Balaam's donkey, I suppose He can speak through me as well. And I think every preacher of the Gospel actually feels that way. All of this means that preaching is not just the transfer of information. It certainly includes that. We ought not to downplay that. But it goes beyond that. Preaching is a mystical, supernatural event. The effect of the words cannot be humanly measured or explained. Preaching is an utterly unique form of communication. It's a sanctified medium, a spiritual medium, we could say, in that it's used by the Holy Spirit. It is just as different from other forms of verbal communication as the Lord's Supper is different from regular meals or as baptism is different from a regular shower. Preaching is the Word of God proclaimed through God's ordained representative to God's ordained people attended by God's power. And preaching, therefore, must be seen as an act of worship, both for the one who preaches and for those who hear. It is a liturgical 
act through which God serves us and gives us His gifts and the other pieces of the liturgy, the other aspects and dimensions of the liturgy either flow into the preaching of the Word or flow out of it. Preaching is sacrificial. Preaching is the way in which the double-edged sword of God's Word cuts us up and transforms us into living sacrifices to be placed on God's altar, rearranging and transforming our lives. Preaching is an act of mission because through preaching, God builds up and extends His kingdom in the world. And preaching is an act of warfare. Preaching is God's battering ram against the gates of hell to set the captives free. Through the preaching of the Word, God God slays sin and Satan. God converts His enemies into friends. Through preaching, He adds to His church. He adds to the number of the saved. This is why preaching is so central. This is why it was so important to revive the practice of preaching in the 16th century. The reformer said, just as God uses water, bread, and wine to deliver His gifts, so He uses paper and ink and the human voice to deliver His gifts as well. Now here's the question. The reformers made all these, these claims, these grand claims for preaching, Were they right? Or did they just get carried away with themselves? Does this view of preaching as the Word of God derive from the Word of God? Is this view of preaching as God's Word consistent with God's Word? I think so. And let me demonstrate that. I just want to walk you through a few passages of Scripture here and you'll see this. Start with Romans 10 as we read it this morning. Most English translations read verse 14 this way. How shall they believe in Him, that is in Christ, of whom they have not heard? And so it sounds like in the typical English translation, people need to hear of Jesus to be saved. And certainly that's true. The problem is that's not actually what it says. And if you look at an interlinear or if you grab a good commentary on the book of Romans, you will see this more accurately translated. A better rendering of that verse would be this way. How shall they believe Him whom they have not heard. See, it's not just that they need to hear about Christ. They need to hear Christ. They need to hear Christ Himself to be brought to faith. Faith comes by hearing, Paul says. It comes by hearing Christ Himself. How does faith come by hearing? Well, it's because, I mean, I can't create faith in your heart. Only Christ Himself can can give you the gift of faith. You have to hear Christ, not merely me. And Paul says that's what happens. See, Paul goes goes on to ask the question. He says, how shall they hear Christ without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? How, How shall they hear Christ without a preacher? Well, they do hear Christ through preachers. That's Paul's point because Christ makes preachers His instruments and His mouthpieces. Hearing a preacher is the way you hear Christ. That's Paul's point in Romans 10. One of his Consider this passage. We didn't read this one, but it's it's real short. Ephesians 2.17. Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, Christ came and preached peace to you who were afar off. Now, do we have any record of Christ going up to Ephesus during His earthly ministry to preach the Gospel to people there? No, of course we don't. He didn't travel around and preach the Gospel to the Gentiles in that way. So, how did Jesus preach to them? How did Christ preach His peace to them? Through a preacher. 
Christ was present to speak peace to them through His spokesman. In Ephesians 4, a little bit later in Ephesians, Paul writes, that is not how you learned Christ, assuming you have heard Him and been taught by Him. And so Paul says, look, if you're believers, in the teaching and preaching you have received, Christ was really your teacher and preacher. You have learned from Christ Himself. You learn Christ from Christ. You are Christ taught. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes it clear that His voice will still be heard after He has ascended away from the earth. His voice gathers His sheep into one flock. In John 10.16, He says this, Other sheep I have, so not just Jewish sheep, He's gathering now, but He's got Gentile sheep too. Other sheep I have, them I must also bring, and they shall hear My voice. So here He's talking about the Gentiles who will be brought in after He's ascended into heaven. The Gentiles will be brought in. And how will they be brought in? By hearing His voice. So how will these sheep hear? How do they hear His voice? How does He bring them in? Well, it's through His Word, especially His preached Word. As the Gospel is preached, Christ's voice calls out to His sheep, gathering them in from all throughout the earth into this one flock that He might be the one shepherd over them. John 18.37, something similar. Before Pilate, Jesus says, everyone that is of the truth hears My voice. And I think that's present tense. I think it's ongoing. It's not just a description of His earthly ministry. It's ongoing even now. Christ's voice continues to be heard whenever and wherever His truth is proclaimed. Those who are of the truth hear Christ. Go back to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we give thanks constantly that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of man, but as it really is, as the Word of God which is at work in you. Here Paul is not talking about the letter he sent to the Thessalonians, which was inspired and is included in the canon of Scripture as part of the authoritative, infallible, inerrant Word of God. But he says his preaching was the Word of God. And they received it as such. God worked through his preaching to bring them to faith. It's how they heard God's voice. It's through preaching. Through his preaching, they heard and received the Word of God. That's what Paul says there. You've received the Word of God which you heard from us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul again describes his preaching ministry. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ and so God makes His appeal through us. God is making His appeal through His ambassadors, through His preachers and pastors and missionaries. And so that's what's happening in preaching. God's making His appeal. God is the one speaking. God is inviting. God is exhorting. God is commanding. God is threatening. God is making His appeal as the Word is preached. And so Paul goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says God is making His appeal as I preach. As I appeal to you, really God is appealing to you. God speaks through Paul's speaking. God appeals through Paul's appeal. In Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the 70 preachers to proclaim His Gospel, He tells them, the one who hears you, hears Me. The one who rejects you, rejects Me. And rejects the one who sent Me. 
That was really the Reformer's rule for faithful preaching. The one who hears you, hears me. By hearing the preacher, you hear Christ. To receive the Word of Christ through a preacher is to receive Christ Himself. Other Scriptures emphasize not just that the pastor or preacher is God's mouthpiece, but emphasize the power of preaching, the power of the preached Word. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes his ministry this way. He says, we proclaim, that is we preach, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What happens when Paul preaches? It's like God saying, let there be light, and the light shines into the darkness. Preaching is God's way of saying, let there be light, so the light of Christ might shine into our dark hearts. Because when God speaks, it happens. Preaching is the creative Word of God. Through the Word preached, God forms a new creation. Preaching comes with the same power that God spoke with in Genesis 1 when He said, let there be light. That happens in preaching. The preacher says, let there be light. And God makes their makes His light shine in, in, in the darkened hearts of men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul acknowledges that his preaching is nothing fancy. The power of his preaching does not reside in his rhetorical skill or abilities. His sermons are not rhetorical masterpieces by human standards. He says, I came to you in fear and in trembling and weakness. But he says his preaching is made powerful by the Spirit. His preaching is a demonstration of the Spirit's power, he says, so that the faithful might know that, so that the faithful may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That they would know that in preaching, this is not the power or wisdom of men. This is the power of God at work when the Word is preached. God's own power is at work in preaching. Or consider another passage we read, 1 Peter chapter 1. I find this so interesting. Verses 23 to 25, Peter says, We are born again by the imperishable Word of God. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, All flesh is like grass, its glory like the flower of the grass uh, fades, the grass withers, the flower fades. But then he says, the word of the Lord stands forever. And what word is that that causes this new birth? What is this imperishable seed that causes the new birth and that stands forever? Peter says in verse 25, this word is the good news that we preached to you. So after describing the word of God as imperishable seed, and after saying the, the, the all flesh is like grass, it, 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 the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What is this word of, Lord that, of the Lord that brings about the new birth? What is this word of the Lord that stands forever? Peter says, it's the gospel we preached to you. The preached word, the preached gospel brings about the new birth. The preached word stands forever. The preached word is God's own word, Peter is saying. Certainly God works through the Word at other times. If you're a Christian, I would expect you to be able to read your Bible and be blessed by it and be changed by it. Uh, you can go to a Bible study where there's not really preaching, but there's discussion and conversation about God's Word. God's Word is read and discussed. Certainly God can use that as, as, as well. But the point that the Reformers wanted to drive home is this. Scripture says there is a special power and authority that attends the Word when it is publicly proclaimed by one of Christ's authorized ambassadors. 
And we need to know He works in a way that goes beyond just what you can understand in the sermon or just what you can remember about the sermon. He works through His Word so it does not return to Him void. And I can tell you as one of those ambassadors, there is nothing more challenging or humbling than knowing that God wants to use you as His mouthpiece. That God wants to speak through you. He wants to use you as His mailman to deliver His message, His delivery mechanism for the Gospel. I have to say with Paul, who is sufficient to such things? But I also have to say with Paul, woe to me if I do not preach the Gospel. But you need to understand, there is also a weighty responsibility put on you as the hearers of God's Word. Yes, Scripture has a great deal to say about preaching. What preaching is, what happens during preaching. But it also has a lot to say about hearing and heeding the Word as it is preached. Luther said, the ears alone make the Christian man. Maybe we need another sola. We've got sola Christus and sola gratia and all these solas. Christ alone, grace alone, all of that. Maybe we need ears alone. <laughs> Following Luther, the ears alone make the Christian man. See, Scripture is full of warnings about what happens when God's people refuse to receive and believe God's Word as it is proclaimed to them. Psalm 95, which is quoted and, and, and uh, discussed at length in Hebrews chapter 4, says, Today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as the people of Israel did. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. You are hearing God's voice today. You hear God's voice every Lord's Day. Do not harden your heart. Hebrews 4 appeals to the people to receive the message with faith and with obedience. George Herbert said for this reason, sermons are dangerous things. No one goes out of church as he came in, but leaves either better or worse. And that's how you need to see it. No sermon leaves you unchanged. You either soften your heart and receive the Word with an obedient faith or you harden your heart. Every sermon is taking you either closer to heaven or closer to hell. It's either making you more like Christ or it is driving you away. It's an aroma of life to you or an aroma of death. It's making you more like Jesus or it's piling up judgment for you at the last day where you'll have to give an account for every sermon you ever heard. Hosea chapter 4, God says, My people perish for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will reject you because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will forget your children. Famines are terrible things, but a famine of the Word of God is the worst famine of all. The greatest disaster that can befall a people is to lose the Word of God, to lose the preaching of the Word of God. God wants His people to prize and treasure the preaching of the Gospel as the words of life, to cling to them as life itself. Martin Luther said this. This is interesting. Only Luther could put it this way. Said so people generally think if I had an opportunity to hear God speak in person, I would run my feet bloody to go and hear Him. He says, but now you have the Word of God in church. And this is God's Word as surely as if God Himself 
before speaking to you. Luther would say you ought to run your feet bloody to get to a church that preaches the Word of God faithfully if that's what you have to do. In the parable of the soils, Jesus and in Luke chapter 8 talks about uh, the seed of the Word falling on different types of soil. The, the Word is sown as it's preached. And, and He makes it clear with the different kinds of soil there. I won't go into all the details of the parable, but He makes it clear we must make every effort as hearers of the Word to be good soil. To receive the seed of the Word in such a way that it can take root in our hearts and grow to bear lasting fruit. And Jesus concludes that parable saying, He who has ears, let him hear. He says the good soil are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast with noble and good hearts. He says a few verses later, He says, take care how you hear. Take heed how you hear. It is a constant refrain. Warnings to not hear the Word of God in vain. To not receive the grace of God's Word in vain. All this is to say, listening to a sermon is not a passive thing. You are not a mere spectator here. You should prepare for the sermon every bit as much as I prepare for the sermon. Preparing the soil of your heart to receive the seed of the Word. You have an obligation to get your mind and heart ready to receive God's Word. Now, of course, the rest of the liturgy helps you do that on a Lord's Day morning and really provides the context for the sermon. So everything else we do, confessing our sins and, and hearing God's word of forgiveness and all these different things we do, they all connect to the sermon. And when you actually do hear the word preached, you need to listen with an obedient and discerning faith. And then you need to be ready to go out from here eager to put the word you have heard into practice. That's something Scripture also talks about. James chapter 1 speaks of those who hear the Word, but they fail to become doers of the Word. James says the one who is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word, is the blessed one. And so James says, hear and do. Hear God's Word and then put it into practice. And I know how hard that is. I realize that in an age of distraction like ours, especially of technological distraction, preaching is difficult. Preaching is odd. Who does this? A, a kind of monologue like this. Preaching seems so antiquated. But as I search the Scriptures, I can't find any alternative. I cannot find any alternative to preaching as the ordinary means through which God brings us to faith, and matures us in the faith. I can't find any alternative to preaching as God's instrument for transforming and saving the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that all Scripture, so he's talking about the Bible, all Scripture is inspired and therefore it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. But how does this inspired, infallible Word intersect with our lives to do all of these things? We'll keep reading. Paul talks about how Scripture equips the man of God. In this case, it's the pastor, Timothy himself. And you keep reading, you come to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, just a few verses later. Ignore the chapter breaks. Paul tells Pastor Timothy to preach the Word in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. 
How does the inspired Word of God intersect with our lives to do all of these things, to train us in righteousness? It is especially through preaching as the Word is preached in season and out of season. And I think the book of Acts makes it really clear the church grows and multiplies through the Word so that the growth and multiplication of the church can actually be described as the Word growing and multiplying. Acts again and again says this. Acts 6-7, the Word of God continued to increase. Acts 12.24, the Word of God increased and multiplied. We want to say, but it's the church that increased and multiplied. But Luke describes it as the Word increasing and multiplying. Acts 13.49, the Word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Acts 19.20, in this way, the Word of the Lord spread widely and prevailed. The point of the sermon is always, always, always to point us to Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Christ. That's the job of the preacher. That's his job description, to proclaim Christ. The spoken Word, like the written Word, bears witness to the eternal Word made flesh. And so I don't preach to you Mark or Ecclesiastes or James. No, I preach Christ from Mark and Ecclesiastes and James, my job, and you've got to hold me responsible to do it, my job is to proclaim Christ. And you need to understand the applications of Scripture I seek to make when I seek to apply Scripture to your life. Those are not things I'm telling you to go out and do in your own power. Rather, those prescriptions are really descriptions of ways in which Christ continues to be at work in you through His preached Word. Things that Christ is doing in you through the Word as it's preached. Preaching is God's way of changing us. It is God's way of changing the world. One of my favorite quotations from Martin Luther in the 16th century, Luther said this about the Reformation. The Reformation was truly a world-changing event. Where did the power for the Reformation come from? What powered the Reformation? What power is there in God's Word? This is what Luther said said, I simply taught and preached God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I sat and drank beer with Philip and Amstor, the Word did all the work. The Word does the work. Preaching is God's way of changing us and changing the world. In Revelation 19, John has a vision of the risen and reigning Christ going forth, conquering and to conquer. And he's riding on a white horse and the saints are falling after him on their chargers as well. And Christ has a sword. He's going to battle. But the sword is not in his hand. The sword comes forth from his mouth. And it's John's picture to us how Christ will conquer. Christ will conquer the nations, but He will do it not with tanks and jet fighters. He will preach His way to dominion. The church preaches her way to dominion. Herman Melville said, the pulpit is the prow of the world. He said the world is a ship on its passage out and the pulpit is its prow. The pulpit steers the world. Through the preached Word, the church leads the world. The church transforms the world. The church sets the agenda for the world. The church, through her preaching, glorifies and matures the world. God used the preaching of His Word to bring about a new world. Through the words of Luther and Calvin, God created a new world in the 16th century. 
God created a new world through their words. He steered the world in a new direction. And I can tell you, if God is going to create a new world in our day, if He's going to steer the world in a new way, and God knows we need this, if there's going to be another reformation, how will it come? In the same old way it always has, through the preaching of God's Word, through the proclamation of the Gospel. The preaching of the Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of the world. Preaching is God's word of comfort and forgiveness. It brings His life-giving power to us. It warns us. It convicts us. It confronts us. It transforms us. The word of God is your life. Let's pray and give thanks together. Father, we do thank You for giving us Your Word. We thank You that through Your Word, the light has shined into the darkness. Through Your Word, the Word of the Gospel, You have created a new world. Father, we pray that Your Gospel would go out with power here in this church and through in churches throughout the world. That the world might be remade. That the world might be conquered for Christ. That the world might be saved and transformed. That the nations might become Christ's disciples. This we pray in His name. Amen.